One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 146. As most of you know, Making Good has a book club. And for our April 2022 episode, the book that we covered was Hype Yourself, a no-nonsense PR toolkit by PR pro Lucy Werner. We loved covering this book for book club. It is so practical and action oriented and anyone who reads it will no doubt come away ready to go after the PR opportunities of their dreams. Well, today I have such a treat for you. And that is that I am thrilled to welcome Lucy Werner, the author of Hype Yourself onto the podcast. Lucy started the Wern Agency in 2014 to provide affordable PR consultancy to independent brands and small businesses. She's written two books, Hype Yourself and Brand Yourself, and she loves helping small business owners get themselves out there. What I love most about Lucy's approach to PR is that it is so specific to small businesses. This is all stuff that we can all do regardless of our budget. Just like in her books, this episode with Lucy is full of gems of wisdom and advice for action takers like you. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, including what is PR? how small businesses and micro businesses can decide what PR opportunities are the right ones to pursue, which PR opportunities lend themselves to an increase in sales, what is the best way to craft a good PR pitch, how small businesses can approach the relationship building side of PR, and more. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Here it is. Lucy, welcome to Making Good. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It's really fun to have you here because we actually covered your book on an episode of Making Good Book Club, and now I get to have the actual author of the book on the show to <laughs> to see if we got our um, takeaways right and pick your brain even further. So welcome. Thank you I so much. I would love for you to introduce yourself and maybe a little bit about your business. For those of you who didn't hear that book club episode, what kind of work do you do and how did you come to, to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Lucy Werner and I am the founder of a PR consultancy called The Wern, which now does PR and branding, predominantly for small businesses um, and founders, really helping to make founders famous, uh, which I started about seven years ago because I'd been in the corporate agency world and just thought there wasn't an affordable service really out there for all the amazing independent places that I was places and spaces and people that I was seeing. So I then decided to set that up and then realized that even beyond that, there were still, you know, people starting out had great stories. I kind of realized that even that still wasn't really affordable for people who were starting out and they really had no budget and they had no clue where to start. So I really wanted to create this DIY arm really so people could learn the tips and tricks themselves before, you know, they can think about affording to pay a professional PR or a branding person. And even for myself, you know, I was pivoting at that point and I wanted to change the services that I was offering. So I wanted to do more teaching and workshops and flexible work that fitted around my lifestyle. Um, so yeah, the DIY side was a kind of way of, I guess, changing what it was that I did in the day-to-day life as well. That makes so much sense to me, having read your book. I think that one of the things that Sherelle and I both loved about it, especially, is that it's one of the only books that we've read for the book club. And we try to pick books that are relevant to small business owners. But this one in particular is one of the only books that I feel like you. it was written to the small shop, right? It was written for 
the small independent business owner who may be just on their own or have a small team. And so everything in it was so doable and accessible and um, relevant to the small business owner. So I love that that's a focus in your business. And that obviously comes through in the book quite a bit. Um, you mentioned lifestyle a little bit, and I know that you just made a move to France. How, yeah. well, how does that relate to your business? Have you made any changes in the way that you approach your business in order to make that move or, or how to, how has that looked? <laughs> so I think, um, we're all kind of taught this formula for life, right? We're kind of told like you go to school, you go to uni, you get married, you have your kids, you do a job, mm-hmm. you work nine to five. And when you're in the kind of corporate PR world, it's a machine and it's very much, you get in early in the morning to discover the breaking news. You're there 24 seven because there's a breaking news cycle. You know, anybody that was had anything to do with the royal family in the UK when the queen died, <laughs> I was like, I feel so sorry for you because wow. that's, that's like your next three weeks gone, right? And not just mm-hmm. the people who work in those stories, like anybody who was about to put a story out because, you know, that, that news cycle is now gone. Um, mm-hmm. So it was quite it's quite a stressful place to be in. And, you know, you see on social media, people all the time talking about how they're not watching the news because it's all doom and gloom. And actually, I think I've almost filtered out that type of news. And I'm always looking for the quirky and the fun stories and looking more, I sort of flick through the fr- first few pages of a newspaper and I'm looking for the features and the trend pieces and, you know, how they're compiling a trends page, that sort of thing. So there was this natural evolution between, I think, me just wanting to like almost slow myself down and have a slower lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess also the, the bit that's beautiful about small business is the people who've made it, right? So as founders, mm-hmm. they've all got, there's normally a reason something happened to them, something has inspired them. The, that energy of a founder, if you could bottle that and sell it, it's just pure magic. So <laughs> there was definitely that piece of me that I wanted to to work with these early stage founders. But equally, you know, when somebody's starting out and they've got no money, you still need to, to make an income for yourself, right? Because I'm not running a, a charity. So right. it's kind of fitting that I think it's fitting it round, like being able to be able to make an income, which is why I still have the kind of the consultancy side. So I will take on a couple of lucrative projects a year or I often consult for other agencies or other brands where it's sort of under the radar. So I don't even, I don't typically publicize or talk about a lot of the work that I do because it's sort of Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And then the DIY side and the teaching part, that's really the bit that gives me joy, but it isn't necessarily the biggest fee paying work, but it's the bit where I personally feel like it's the most success, even though there's not necessarily the salary to go with that side of things. Um, but I think COVID's changed the way of work for everybody. I think historically, if I said that I was doing one-to-ones or a workshop and it wasn't face-to-face, that would really freak people out. And I think mm-hmm. now people are so used to being online um, that the fact that I'm in another part of the world doesn't really change any of the work that I'm doing. So for most people, it hasn't I don't even think it's hit home. I did actually kind of swither whether or not I should even like PR and promote that I'm here because I was like, oh, maybe I'll lose out on opportunities. But so far that hasn't hasn't happened because obviously most people are not really looking at your life. So when they're inviting you to do a workshop or a talk in London, they don't really get that you're not there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, yeah, sounds very dreamy. Um, (laughs) Let's kind of go back to basics a little bit for anyone listening who is a small business owner and they listen to this podcast maybe to learn about marketing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not something they have a lot of background in. And they kind of maybe broadly know what PR is. They've like have a picture of like the devil wears Prada in their head, maybe. <laughs> but like, what is PR? If someone had no idea, like PR mm-hmm. 101, how would you define that for them? So PR stands for public relations. So effectively, it's everything that you are doing with your relationships in public. So even, you know, being on your social media, how you open the door for somebody at the coffee shop, who you're sat next to at a panel event, um, you know, what like me talking to you now, this is PR for myself because I'm obviously getting Mm -hmm. to talk about my work on your podcast. 
Um, and I think people typically think it's, um, it's all about getting into traditional media. So having an article about themselves in a newspaper. Um, and that is actually called media relations. Um, it's one strand of the PR wheelhouse. But really, I think any decent sort of PR consultant now, if they're looking to raise your profile, are not going to just be looking at traditional press coverage in a newspaper. And certainly, if we're looking at things that are really going to drive sales for your product or service, getting in a newspaper isn't always this overnight silver bullet for sales that people think it is. Whereas somebody might actually hear you on a podcast, or they might see you talking at an event and really connect with your story and think, ha, I'm going to buy her book now. I'm going to buy his candle or I'm going to, you know, sign up to this online course because they've spent a bit of time getting to know you. So yeah, that's kind of how I would describe it in a nutshell. Yeah. I love that you have sort of like widened the definition of PR or maybe the definition of PR has widened with like a lot of the new advances in technology and all the new opportunities out there. Um, When you are thinking specifically about the small businesses, whether they're service providers, like a, you know, event planner or a photographer or a graphic designer, or I think more of my listeners even are in the product-based world. So like you say, a candle maker, a jeweler, um, someone who makes handmade clothing. How would you approach advising these types of micro small businesses in looking at all of the opportunities that are out there and kind of narrowing in on the ones that might be best for them to go after? Mm-mm-mm. So I, I mean, I'm a big fan of making the founders speak up. A lot don't really like to do that. Um, they don't necessarily want to share their story, but I definitely think that the founder, the founder profile is actually a really key piece to use. And I typically kind of bucket um, founders into three categories. There's the business expertise. So all the things that you think might not be that useful, but super useful for other people. So how you found your distributor, where you went to to get your packaging, how you um, managed to secure your first retailer, what did you do when you were faced with a copycat? You know, all these sort of issues are all things that other small business owners experience, particularly in like the product business world. So your journey is definitely going to have something that other people starting out can learn from. And when we're looking at, um, you know, to typically in traditional media, a lot of it shrunk now. So there used to be loads of magazines, loads of newspapers that shrunk. So the opportunity to just get your product featured in a page, like what we call product placement or listicles, where it's a list of all of the products. So it could be, you know, top 10 eco gifts for teenagers, for example. There's not a huge number of those slots as there used to be. There's obviously a lot more online and sometimes they can link. But there's a lot more opportunity for entrepreneur publications, for the business sections, um, in small business communities, um, you know, marketing platforms that are giving advice. Um, one of my favorite places is actually a global publication called Courier Magazine. And they're always looking for global case studies of businesses. And they have loads of different sections um, of advice or telling stories. So it, rather than it being like, you know, hi, I'm Lucy, and I've written a book about PR for small business. It's more like, hi, I'm Lucy, and this is the best piece of PR advice I wish I knew before I started out, that sort of thing, right? Um, and you're still kind of like promoting what it is that you're doing, but it's just in a softer way. So the, there's the business expertise. I Can think I ask every- you a question on that really quick? Yeah, yeah. So for me, that makes total sense for you, like um, as someone who sells business expertise, mm-hmm. it makes sense to me really naturally that you would go places where people are reading about business. But are you suggesting that that's still a really good opportunity for like the candle maker to go talk about how they approach running their candle business? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because I think, um, Sort of moving on to like, I guess another pillar is what I call the passion points, right? It's the bit where if you were your own publication, you've got your business news 
of your of your company you've got your features you've got your trends and then there's the bit that I kind of call the equivalent of your horoscope or recipe pages so it's like the other businesses that you would sit alongside so if we take the example of the candle maker for example there's going to be there could be a specific type of candles they could be a vegan candle they could be a sustainable candle they could be a a typical type of design. I'm running out of ideas now on candles, but you know they <laughs> might they basically might fit into a niche that other businesses could sit alongside. And so, by collaborating and positioning yourself as an expert amongst those other brands, you are benefiting from that cross promotion of that audience share. So it's a little bit like when we go to a conference and we see you know, Facebook on stage with Adobe and Yahoo, you know, like all the big guns, but thinking about that on a much smaller level, on a small business level. So if I'm a candle business, I'm going to be looking at, okay, if I was a notice board, who's my equivalent? If I was a lampshade, who's my business equivalent? If I was a clock, who's my business equivalent? Mm -hmm. And, and, And almost think about how I can be collaborating on content with those businesses and those places. Um, a really good example of this is actually a brand called Can Can, and they make sustainable soap in a can. And they often do um, interviews on their website with similar businesses, and they'll do mm. roundups um, for Christmas or for other gifting or seasonal occasions where they kind of collaborate and put these other businesses together. And I think increasingly now, we're seeing a lot of small business owners create content that isn't just about their own products, but about that lifestyle, about that passion point of the founders, of the other things that they're consuming outside of work. So for me, yeah, it's sharing those tips and those advice for that community, I think, super powerful. Mm -hmm. And that the people reading it, even if they are mostly business owners, they may also be good customers is kind of... I think most, I think a lot of the small business community actually supports a lot of small business community at the same time. For me... The whole like B2B and B2C, like if it's business to business, a lot of these brands, they're talking to their consumers, but it might be a business story. And then you're kind of like, what's it's a bit of a blurred line. Is this a business story or is this a consumer story? Because Mm -hmm. to me, if I'm reading about, uh, you know, a story of a founder story about a business, I don't necessarily see that as a business article. I kind of read it as a human interest piece. Right. Okay. Sorry. So I interrupted you. So with the founder story, there's the business expertise, the passion points, and what was the third one? So the third one is actually human interest. So I think there's a lot of um, bits about that we do that are interest to other people that we kind of take for granted. So obviously you picked up on the fact that I've moved to the South of France. So that is actually something that I've been able to use as a way to get PR for myself. So an example recently, I was actually in the property pages of the Times talking about how my business success meant that I could move to rural France. And mm-hmm. it had, you know, it, it, the story is really about me and my family and the journey that we've gone on as a family to get us to where we are today. But the piece includes like a link to my business and both of my books. So it is a PR piece, although you wouldn't traditionally go, oh, yeah, I'm a service business of small businesses, I'm going to go to the property section of a national newspaper to pitch my story. You you see what I mean? So it's finding Mm -hmm. those bits of human interest. So I talk often about um, working with my husband, or I've talked about shared parental leave because we've done a few pieces about that. Um, We managed to actually be one of the few people that sort of had a home office pre-pandemic. So we've been featured in a few kind of working from home office articles as well so there's particular sort of themes that I talk about um that are related to my life that aren't necessarily related to what I do as a product or a service that I can leverage for press opportunities so good when you're thinking about um like so going back to let's say the candle maker or the other small business like that who sells a product for the most part let's say they are Maybe one of the reasons and uh, certainly like a leading reason that they would be looking to pursue PR opportunities is to like up the sales, like to see more sales coming in. Are there certain kinds of PR opportunities that just lend themselves more naturally to seeing more of that immediate sales response versus more of like a 
broad brand building or brand awareness type impact? Well, Lauren, you'll know because I've read the have from reading the book, I'm very much a one size fits no one approach. <laughs> um, but what I will say is TV, generally getting your product featured on TV is gonna, that is going to move it. But obviously those slots are quite rare. But I mean, there's famous cases in the US where Oprah would like talk about I don't know, like a food shack. And then it would get so popular that it would have to shut down because it couldn't cope with like the traffic mm-hmm. coming through. So there's also can be like this negative side of it as well. If your, your website crashes, you know, um, but I, yes, I would generally say like TV or big radio is going to definitely move the dial on that. Um, I actually know from sort of the book publishing world that if anybody gets on kind of one of the major radio shows, they see their book sales, you know, exponentially grow uh, really quickly from that. I think Mm. getting your product featured in a national, sometimes I've seen it work wonders. And I've been really surprised because it will be like a luxury product that's featured in something like the Daily Mail. And you're like, this is so weird. This isn't an audience fit at all. And then other times I've seen it land a luxury product in a luxury magazine and it's done nothing. And you're like, oh, Mm. I don't understand why that's not done what it's supposed to do. I also think the problem with traditional PR is you can't really track it. So the person who's read a a Sunday supplement in a hotel has maybe taken a photo on on their phone of that page of that candle that they really like. And then they've forgotten about it. And then six months later, they're flicking through their phone and they're like, oh, I've got some money in the bank now. I forgot I wanted that candle. I'm going to buy it. You can't track Mm -hmm. that that's come from that piece of coverage, even if it has, right? So sometimes you can't can't see this sort of the natural lift. And I think one of the key things when I talk about PR or, or branding is actually it's just putting out these red flags all the time. And it's not it's those billboards like you know we see mcdonald's billboards everywhere it doesn't mean that we're going to get mcdonald's as soon as we still see that billboard but it's in our head kind of all the time like we know what the golden arches look like we know what the menu is we know what the jingle is it's just there solidified in our brains because of that brand awareness so i think with your audience it is about trying to really know who your audience is and where they're consuming and making sure you can show up um, in many ways as you can around that place. So with a magazine, it might not just be the shopping pages. It might be that they have events. It might be that they do goodie bags. It might be that they're looking for products for a competition giveaway. And there's all these sort of little ways that we can keep you know our head above the parapet without um, necessarily taking ages to work on doing that traditional PR side of things. Um, But I also think it's important to forget your ego sometimes and think about who is the audience match. And I know for myself, collaborating with other niche service brands who maybe only have a few hundred followers on Instagram and a few hundred followers on their newsletter might drive so many more sales for my book or my cards or my online courses because it's a direct audience match. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that's why it's thinking about, you know, if you were a big corporate company, who are your other heads of department that you can partner up with and not get so worried about audience size, but the engagement of that audience and it being the right fit for you. So would you consider like collaborating with other small businesses? Is that kind of fall under this PR umbrella for you then? Yeah, hundred percent. Because I think you also can really align yourself with your brand values to those other businesses. Um, And I think when you really know what you're about and who your audience is and what they're about and you niche down, it's so much more effective than when you're starting out than when you're trying to create a new category or you're trying to sell to everybody. And I think you start on almost on one campaign and you focus all your energy on that. And it doesn't mean that you can't try out other audiences or other areas, but when you try and sort of do what I call like the spray and pray, when you try and hit everybody with the same generic message, it's never going to be as necessarily effective as when you're really focusing on refining on your messaging for your niche audience. So there is a lot of crossover really between good PR and good marketing. 
yeah, all all coming down to really knowing who your ideal customer is, right? And who's most likely to want to buy your product. Yeah, and what their pain points are and how your product is solving that. And I mm-hmm. think um, there's definitely, I, I don't know how it feels sort of over in the US, but in the UK, there's definitely this kind of cost of living crisis stress that I can feel mm-hmm. in the small business community, particularly as it's coming up to Christmas when there's retail indexes showing shrinkage on the high street. It's a really scary place to be if you're a product-based business, small business owner right now. And I also think that's why having the community is important because we can help lift each other up and Mm -hmm. pass over opportunities. And I also think the pandemic had kind of opened up the door really for media to champion small business in a way that I've never seen before, where there was lots of lists of, you know, here's the 100 best small um, independent brands for sustainable fashion right now. And I think we're going to increasingly see that. Like, I think that's a trend that's going to continue. And big business wants to champion small businesses as well. There's a lot of companies out there whose whole business is around seemingly to champion small business. So I think there's also thinking about brand collaborations with big business and how you can get your foot in the door with them. So for you, Mr. Candlemaker, it's can you do a candle making workshop with your Google HQ, for example, or could you mm-hmm. be doing a, a workshop with a big corporate global team um, and thinking about other revenue streams for your business outside of just that core product as a way to also help promote sales of the product? One thing that I've heard you say a few times, and that certainly you talk about in the book, is um, like finding your pit, your hook, or your angle for your pitch. So I I heard even in this conversation, you saying, you know, maybe one of them for you has been how your business has made this move to rural France possible or finding these really specific angles that you're pitching rather than just going up to a organization who has some kind of, you know, media out there and saying, hey, this is my business. Do you want to write about us? But having something super specific. How do you come up with those pitches and like, you know, if you have a list of a hundred ideas, how do you figure out which (laughs) ones are actually best and worth going after? So I would actually say taking time to, I guess, again, like knowing your audience, almost sort of clipboard the journalists that you would like to write about you. So think of it as like, if I could sit down and interview those 10 journalists to say, what, what about my story would interest you? You would do that, right? But we don't have They don't have time to sit down with every small business owner and tell them how to do that. So I would be, I would start off with, okay, what are the publications I want to be in? And then which section of that publication do I want to fit in? And then you're going to start to be able to learn the names of the journalists that write those kinds of stories. And then most journalists are kind of PIing themselves and the articles that they're writing all the time. So following them on Twitter, you don't have to have an active Twitter account. I always encourage people just to have a dormant Twitter account just to see what journalists are up to. Um, And just really engage with like what stories they're writing. Because when you read more about how journalists write, it's going to give you ideas about how you can pitch your story. Now, if they've just done a top 10 candles that are vegan this it's no good then going to them and saying oh I've got a vegan candle do you want to write about mine because they've just done it mm-hmm. but you could you could go in a year later and say hey I saw you did this a year ago are you thinking of updating it for 2023 or 2024 um I also think there's a hashtag called um journey request or um I don't know if it's hero or hero it's health reporter out h-a-r-o mm-hmm. Um, and that's really good just for seeing the sort of things that journalists are asking about. Um, again, you'll then start to get a bit of a feel for the sort of things that they're asking for. And that, to me, kind of helps spark um, my ideas. So actually, that property one for The Times came from a hashtag journey request where she was looking for examples of business success stories um, that allowed the person to move house. So. I didn't come up with that theme. The theme was already there, but she did have about 80 pictures. And she said the reason, one of the reasons that mine got through is because I didn't just talk about business success metrics. 
I gave a lot of human interest um, bullet points to the piece so that she could see what the story would be rather than, yeah, I'm so successful, I've moved, which, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's not, I had peaks and troughs in my story. Um, so, um, yeah, I think really just studying what your writers are writing about, because the biggest mistake I see people make is they go, right, I've learned how to write a press release about my product. I've bought a list or I found a media list that my friend who works in PR from five years ago made for my other friend who's just emailed <laughs> it to me. So now I'm going to wang out this press release to 300 people and hope for the best. Um, and the problem with that is it's not tailored. You don't know if the person on the other side is actually writing it. So I'm very much a, a less is more. Like I would much rather you are like, okay, I want to be in this shopping page. Who writes it? What's the name of the column? I'm going to have that in the subject line. My opening email is going to be like, do you want my product for this page? This is how much it costs. This is the URL. Here's an image of it. And my press release is cut and paste below if you need further information. Boom. And it's just really tailored to that person. And I tell you what it's like. You'll know this, Lauren, as well. Like, you know, when you accept a request on LinkedIn and the person <laughs> immediately DMs you, like, are you interested in my recruitment training service of all? And you're sat there and you're like, have you even looked at what mm-hmm. my business does? Right. And, and yeah. I'm like, I, I now kind of block those people because I think it's such a spammy sales technique. Mm-hmm. And journalists do the same, right? If you go in and it's not what they write about and you're just filling up their inbox, the likelihood is you're going to get blocked. Yeah. I think as like, as someone with a podcast, I get tons and tons of pitches for the podcast and I can tell the ones that are just copy pasted to like a list of a hundred different business podcasts and the ones that like, they've actually listened to an episode and they have like a reason why their particular business or their expertise would be a good fit like that it's actually very obvious if it's, it's one or the other right? yeah I bet. and what are the percentage of the emails that you get do you think are generic oh 80 to 90 right percent. so even yeah. that 10 percent that come through even if they're not right you're probably going to at least like them or want to connect to them in some way a lot more yeah. because they're a fan of the show rather than just sent you a generic spam email right yeah it's it's actually like just that, just being thoughtful and having thought about why your particular expertise or what you have to say is a good fit for this particular podcast or publication if it's not a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that sets you apart from, like I say, like 80 to 90% of other things coming in the door. It's such an easy win (laughs) you know so and it's like I think I am I quite often say to people I have a monthly newsletter it goes to 5,000 people they're typically creative entrepreneurs I have a friends and family section so if you've got like a free worksheet or a workshop or you've written an article that's relevant to a small business and creative audience and you'd like me to share it in my friends and family section just let me know And then I'll suddenly get like a link to, I make baby grows. And I'm like, that's so nice. But that's, I don't talk about products in my (laughs) newsletter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then I feel guilty because I'm like, I don't have time to reply to all these people and are pitching me products. But if they were like, actually, you know, um, I run a baby grow business and I've written a blog on my website on how I managed to do crowdfunding for the first time and raised X amount of money and the tips that other small business owners could learn from doing it, then I'd be like, yeah, perfect. This is exactly the sort of thing that I take. Yeah. So good. On the topic of pitching, you have a lot of amazing advice about this in the book, Hype Yourself, which by the way, we haven't mentioned a ton of yet, but if you haven't read it, it is so good. It is, it is so, so, so good. So practical. It's like a It's like your marching orders when it comes to PR. So highly (laughs) recommend that you pick up a copy. Um, You talk about this quite a bit in the book, but when it comes to pitching, is there a structure that you would suggest? Is there like some major do's and don'ts? We talked about like not the spray and pray approach, like not (laughs) just blasting the same thing to a hundred people, but what kind of tips would you offer when it comes to writing an effective pitch? So definitely something tailored. 
Definitely a tailored subject line so that the person on the other end, if they don't know your name, I wouldn't necessarily lead with your product name because the chances are unless you're Apple or, you know, Nike, they're not going to know what your product is. So, you know, if we're going back to our candle, Mr. Candle Maker that we've been talking about today, (laughs) you know, it could be pitch for, you know, top 10, um, eco candles or top 10 luxury candles or, um, how I funded, how I crowdfunded my candle business or um, how I co-founded my candle business with my twin sister. Kind of just be really almost headline what you see the Mm -hmm. end result of the article being. Um, That's the subject line. In the body of the email, get straight to the point. I see so many people are like, hi, how are you today? I hope things are well, weather, weather. No, like journalists are super busy um, and it's probably like the same for you with all the emails you get like you don't really need somebody being like unless they genuinely are a fan of your podcast you don't necessarily need somebody like buttering you up for four sentences you kind of mm-hmm. want them to just get to the point um so I go straight in super direct you know this is this is what the story is this is who it's for couple of bullet points definitely no more than two or three paragraphs Sign off, make sure your email address and your phone number is on there in case it gets forwarded on and, you know, they lose the, the email in a chain. If it's mm-hmm. a product, I would always embed an image, not attach, because journalists don't open attachments. So particularly if you've got something that's really visual, definitely having a visual inside that email right up top, super important. And again, with a press release, I'd always have any additional information below so if we're talking about a product it might be a press release if we're talking about a service or a founder story it might be you know this is my biography here's some other podcasts that I've been on or here's some links to some other articles that I've written but that's all underneath the pitch emails not in the the actual pitch email itself you just want to keep that super short sharp and succinct and also I think try and show the person on the other end why it's a benefit to their readers. I think the mistake that lots of people make is either they go in with the ego of like, this is why you should be featuring me <laughs> or, you know, and mm-hmm. it, like, like it's the privilege for the, for the journalist right. to be giving them all their attention or, and Brits are really bad for this. They go too far the other way where they're kind of like, if you think it might work, uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> very sort of polite, Hugh Grant, four weddings and a funeral, S stuttering style. <laughs> Um, no, like this is why it's good for your audience. You know, this is why, uh, you know, if I was pitching to you cold, I would talk about why my audience match of a certain size is going to be a match for your audience and how we could kind of cross pollinate on what it is that we're doing because of, you know, the audience match that we've got. Or I might want to talk about the fact that my audience is very similar to yours and therefore I think I can bring a different angle to your audience because I can talk about PR which is slightly outside of you know the the broader marketing wheelhouse so I might have a different approach which could be an interesting niche listen for them you know that sort of thing so it's not so much um what you know it's trying to let that other person know actually I can promote you to my channel I can you know, share it to my audience, or I've got something different for your audience, you need really demonstrate where you're going to be giving that value, particularly if they don't know you. I love the recommendation for if you have a visual product to embed an image in the email versus like attach or, you know, link. Always. And I think product-based business owners, particularly when they're starting out, they get so worried that they need this like super high-end luxe lifestyle photography. And nine times out of 10 for product placement pages, they just want like the ghost cutout, just the product on a white background. So, you know, in this day and age between sort of like Adobe Express, you know, we can take a picture of it. We can remove the background and stick it on a white image. We're good to go. You know, like there's, I think there's so many ways now that we can shoot our own products in an affordable way that just wasn't possible 10 years ago. That's one thing I took away from your book was the importance actually of images when it comes to your pitching. Like it makes the job of the journalist so much easier if you can oh provide them the landscape a nice image. image. The landscape image is literally my worst kept secret, my open secret. Because <laughs> most founders, they'll get a headshot in a portrait, right? But they don't think about getting a headshot in the landscape image. And it works for so many reasons. So if you're thinking about 
being featured on a blog. Most people are reading blogs on a computer. You're looking at a landscape or a laptop. You're looking at a landscape you know, screen. So when you already provide it as a landscape image, it automatically looks a hundred times better because you're, you're filling that area. And most, you know, most people don't have time. Also, when you're thinking about a national newspaper, you've got double page spreads or DPS. So when you open it and you've got two pages next to each other, quite often, particularly in the business pages or the profile pages, when they are interviewing people, it is that landscape image that they use. So I will quite often say, um, you know, I, I actually got a piece talking about having a home office and in the subject line, I said, yes, love having a home office. And I have a great image in my subject line <laughs> so that she knew that it was already oh part gosh. of the package. And then I just put a low res like, um, thumbnail of the photo of me and my partner in the office just to show, um, because most people have white offices and we had these big rainbow shells that we were photographed in front of, and that image is being used as the lead photo and probably four or five articles now, just because it's so visually striking. So mm-hmm. yeah, the landscape image, if you're, if it's yourself personally, is such a good one to have in the bank. And so many personal branding photographers don't do it. It drives me nuts. It's so interesting that the image could, could actually be the make or break factor yeah. in whether you get the spot or not. And also like typically in features, they'll quite often be, if we're looking at a trend piece, they're not going to just interview you, right? It might be just one sentence from you and then four or five other people. And if you're the one sending a headshot immediately, the chances are your image is going to be used at the top of that article. And then you're going to have like the double placement and you're on Google images. So then when people are Googling your name or your business name, you've got all this imagery up top, which is so good. I could just keep picking your brain, but I gotta, I gotta <laughs> narrow down my questions here. Um, I think one sort of, as we start to wrap up my questions about PR, one mm-hmm. thing I'm wondering is my sense from reading your book and listening to you speak is that building relationships with people who write articles and, you know, have some kind of position of power within yeah. different media publications is probably beneficial toward getting, you know, placements and things like that. Do you have any tips about kind of trying to build these relationships? And, you know, I've heard of people sending product samples and, you know, checking in and being like, Hey, what can I help you with? Do you just have any tips for the relationship building side of um, PR and kind of building those relationships with people who might write about you or feature you down the road? Yeah. So I think, you know, historically, it was all about whining and dining the journalists and sending them gifts. But I think, A, the, the media landscape has changed a lot. You know, we're not in these madmen boozy days anymore. Um, and I also think that journalists typically move around quite a lot, a lot more working from home or remotely, so they don't necessarily want to be giving out um, their home address. So I would never actually send in a gift unless the journalist has specified that they want to receive it and given you the address, because I think otherwise it can just end up in, mm-hmm. you know, in the trash. I think that it's being as helpful as you can. So a lot of the journalists that I have built up good relationships with, I am often recommending other people outside of my client base. So it could be other business owners or other businesses that I know that I think could be a good fit. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why that sort of following the hashtag journal request or hero um, request out is a really good thing to do. Um, And journalists and media outlets, you know, the whole point of media outlets is to get an audience is to get reach because the more reach they get, the more they can charge on advertising. So if Mm -hmm. you're supporting that journalist by sharing the articles that they're writing, by engaging on social media with them, by commenting on their articles themselves. Um, you know, we, we all see it. We all know the difference between somebody who mm-hmm. literally has just started to follow us on Instagram and pictures to us on Instagram DM versus the person who has been there sort of in the background for a few years and then finally says something to you. And you think, yeah, do you know what? I know I've seen you there supporting me all this time. Um, at the end of the day, they're all humans. Um, journalists are all humans and they, um, 
they're going to see through a kind of hard sales pitch and fake relationship building. So I think it's about, it's about being genuine about it. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've talked quite publicly before about the fact that I really wanted to be on this podcast called Creative Rebels. And, um, I basically kind of connected with Adam and David like everywhere and started to respond to anything that they would say and do. <laughs> But it wasn't like a daily thing. I didn't become their stalker. It was just, it was like a natural thing because I liked what they stood for. And I liked that they were about giving creative tips and advice to people coming out. So for me, it was the right fit. And they told me no to being on their podcast three times because I didn't fit the criteria. Um, and when I knew I was going to fit the criteria, I literally tagged them on Instagram stories being like, I'm coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think, you know, there's no, there's no shame in being a fan. There's no shame in being a fan of that publication or outlet and aspiring to be in it. And, and not taking a no or a rejection um, personally, which, you know, I, again, it's not easy. You do have to kind of um, put on your body armor a bit. Right. Because um, sometimes you'll be like, why is that product featured? You know, that person's horrible and they copied that person's business and they shouldn't be in there. But don't focus your energy on that. Just focus how you can get yourself in there. Yeah, I love the reminder about resilience and just because you get a no one or two or even three times doesn't mean <laughs> it's no forever, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to get reported for like a hashtag B two for getting on their podcast, but just like, you know, this it wasn't like I was sort of grooming them, but it was right. just a, that gentle relationship building that was. I think is the authenticity, which you know, that word gets bandied around too much, and we don't love it these days, but. You, you know, you'll know from yourself, Lauren, of like people emailing you or DMing you. You know if people are actually a fan or have connected with what you're saying versus right. they're coming in cold. And I think it's – that's why also for me it was – I think I spent about a year nurturing my relationship with them before I even broached the subject of whether or not I would be somebody big enough to be on their podcast because they were interviewing people like Seth Godin who, you know, I'm not, I don't need to have an ego about it. I'm nowhere near as good or as famous as him. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I wanted to be realistic in my approach of like, am I, you know, ever going to be good enough or famous enough to be here? Because, you know, we all have to kind of keep that bit of humility as well. Just because I've written a book doesn't really make me any more famous or better than any other kind of creative person out there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's finding those stories and the bits that I think make me different from other small business owners that I think sets you apart. And that's why I think almost ignoring other people and taking the time to know like what your story is and what's different about you and how do you approach business differently to other people, those bits of your journey and your story are sometimes so much more interesting than actually the case studies or the product that you're selling itself. I want to ask you one question about books. So you've written two books. Um, I've read one of them and I need to read the other one. I'd love for you to share with the audience those what those books are and maybe just a little bit about where to find them if, if folks are interested. And then also, like, how has the process been of writing books as a way of, you know, further developing your brand and your business? Like, how, how have those two kind of fed each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first book I wrote was Hype Yourself, um, which I actually, I won the publishing deal after a book proposal challenge that I did with an independent publisher. And that was um, when I just, it was just me and the business. It was a DIY PR toolkit. So kind of all the tips and tricks we talked about today, but there's a downloadable um, workbooks that go with it. So there's lots of exercises because I definitely believe that the best way to learn is to actually apply it to yourself so when I see people taking it on holiday I'm like oh no babe it's not for holiday it's not for holiday it's for life <laughs> get back it's to your for desk. doing <laughs> yeah, get back to your desk and take some notes already <laughs> um, and then my husband joined the business and he 
basically kind of does what I do, but on branding and design and, um, and is severely dyslexic. So it was never going to be, and French. So he was never going to be able to write an English book, which was like the same version. So we basically pitched the idea to my publisher as a follow-up one, which to be honest, probably should be first because you kind of need to define your brand and what you're about before you start promoting yourself. So if I was a complete novice starting out, I'd actually start with brand yourself before. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, there's lots of exercises in there. It gets you to go through your vision, your mission, your purpose. Um, I had a guest section in there from Vanessa Below talking about diversity and inclusion and how that actually needs to be baked into our strategy. Because I think if we've learned anything in the last few years, it tends to be something that we just sort of react to on social media when something happens to show that we are anti-racist, but actually it's about baking that work into our businesses from a strategic level, um, Mm -hmm. which was something um, that I'm really proud of because she's really good at talking about that stuff. So featuring her and it was amazing. There's lots of other kind of um, examples of brands in there who are doing cool, quirky and creative things to just also get you to think outside of, you know, the the mouse mat or key ring or USB stick <laughs> type type things that service mm-hmm. providers sometimes do as gifts, but also for brands how they could potentially collaborate with others or do limited edition or you know other ways to get noise around their brand um, after they've they've been out for a while. Um, and yeah, I guess for me, I as I sort of mentioned right at the beginning, I definitely wanted to move away from being an agency owner and having a team, and I wanted to get more into teaching. And I spent a whole year, um, I think I had a thousand followers when I got my book deal. And I spent the whole year giving a free piece of advice every single day, a free PR tip every single day. Um, I did, my goal for myself PR wise at that time was to do one event a month, one podcast a month and one guest post a month. And I think the first three months I didn't hit it. And then after that, um, I did. And then they started, the opportunities then started coming to me. So it was definitely like building momentum. And I gave out so much free advice. I did so many free workshops and so many free talks, but now I get paid to do workshops and I get paid to do talks. Um, so obviously it's not always possible to, to work for free, but it was a kind of, as I was in that transition period and I was kind of learning what people wanted to know. So I, for me, the doing a free talk and the Q and a section at the end was brilliant because Mm -hmm. all those questions, I was like, okay, this is what people need to know. So both the books were really written, targeted all those questions that I've been asked and the myths that I see and the mistakes I see people make. So yeah, the books really were a way to, to address all of those questions that I, I had and then the book really did open a lot of doors for me. It did get me um, onto radio. It did get me invited into more sort of paid for workshops. I do a, a lot of work now with creative accelerators and universities who have programs to help um, well accelerate <laughs> businesses. Um, so I quite often do teaching on the PR modules of that. I now work for Adobe Express as a, an ambassador for them. So I teach like other small business owners about PR. Um, and how you can marry that by doing your branding on Adobe Express. So that's been an amazing opportunity. So I've kind of found that I do get this sort of work with bigger brands that are focusing on small businesses um, by just staying true to what it is that I'm interested in, which is like PR for small business. So I've been kind of banging that PR for small business drum for so long now that that's what people know me for. Um, And I think the book just help to solidify that really and you know it's got me talking to you today Lauren like I don't I doubt I'd be here today if it wasn't for the book so yeah yeah just full of I'm I'm so glad you wrote the book not not only because I learned a ton from it but it connected us and yeah yeah I love hearing about all the different opportunities that that come from from putting a book out there it's something I've always out on my heart so we'll yeah. see you someday <laughs> you know what? like I really beat myself up that I wasn't like a Sunday Times or a New York Times business bestseller and I didn't sell like thousands and I'm not in the airport and you know all these things where a lot of the influencers are but literally 
a month ago, I was sent my first international imprint where it's been published in Vietnamese now, which is my first one, which is like three years later. And I'm like, you know what? Three years later, it's still going, still plugging. And I think that is the other thing about small business owners is we, we typically, we can compare ourselves to major corporate or high street or famous, you know, brands and think, oh, just, I want that for me. And it's actually just taking that step back and remembering it's all those baby steps, you know, mm-hmm. keeps you, it's the tortoise and the hare, isn't it? And we've got to keep on doing our little tortoise crawl forward and just keep taking the steps in the right direction, like keep going directionally forward. Um, yeah. And don't forget to look back at like, you know, how, how you've done. So for me, like, it's, I'm not in all these different languages, but I'm super proud to suddenly be in Vietnamese. (laughs) So, you know. Congratulations. Thanks. Big in in Vietnam now, babe. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. So exciting. Yeah. I think that's like, what a great kind of final takeaway is just like, take it step by step, like slow and steady. And when you turn around and look back at how far you've come over time, like you'll be kind of blown away. So love it. Love it. Um, I am aware we're slightly over time, so I'm going to speed through my last couple of questions that I ask all of the guests of this podcast, but this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Lucy. Um, the first question is how do you approach doing good through your small business? (laughs) I think for me, it's the, it's the trying to be of service or giving the free tips and advice. And championing, I guess, voices that don't always get that platform. So if I'm invited to speak at something, I'll always ask who else is going to be there. And if necessary, you know, give up my seat, which isn't necessarily that gets seen publicly. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's important to do that work behind the scenes to make sure that, I love that. we're championing equality as much as we can. That's fantastic. Um, what is one small business that you admire? mean male um who's now actually become a friend of mine is basically like mean cards to send to your friends she's just (laughs) they're very sarcastic that she's got a great brand palette she's got great brand partnerships she's just everything about her small business I just think is right on um you know she shares the highs and the lows um she's great Okay. I cannot wait to look into that. And definitely this will all, all be linked in the show notes of the podcast. So go check that out. Yeah. What is a business book that you would recommend? <laughs> Do you know what? There was, this, there was like a something in brackets in that question when I was doing my, my, hack, yes. my, pre, my pre-work. And I was like, actually, do you know what? I really like medium because I like hearing from authors talk about things outside of what they've written in their book and you getting an insight into them ah. or, or following people's sub stacks. That's my new favorite thing. Yes, me too. So I would say actually medium is my kind of favorite place to be. And, and probably my favorite author um, is Sam Conniff who wrote Be More Pirate. Okay. I'm going to link that book and Sam Conniff on medium. Is yeah. You- okay. Awesome. Fun, fun answer to that. Okay, so where can listeners connect with you online? I know you have some free resources that are fantastic. So I'd love for you to point people in the direction of that as well. So yeah, all the things about where people (laughs) can find you. Uh, So I'm Lucy Werner PR on almost everything. You should be able to find me. That is my handle on everything now. I've got myself organized. Um, I have hypeyourself.com where there's resources. to download and I also have um, a monthly newsletter um, which is actually it's been a little bit not monthly but it's never more than monthly (laughs) and it's never overtly selling but it's just got lots of sort of PR and branding tips and things to to look at to help boost your business amazing okay all of this will be linked on the show notes for this episode Lucy thank you so much for letting me pick your brilliant brain about all things PR and small business. I love, I, as I said, like I love how targeted and specific your advice is for small business owners. So everything that we talked about here and certainly everything in your books, like they're just for you listeners. So absolutely go check them out. Um, it's like a, 
I think the subtitle is like a no nonsense toolkit or something like that, which is <laughs> yeah. exactly what it is. So absolutely <laughs> yeah. go check those out. But thank, thank you, you for being so here. Much. No, it's been my absolute pleasure. I hope it's it's helpful. And obviously, I say this all the time, and nobody ever does it. But if you've listened to the show, and then you're like, oh, I've got a burning question to ask, and you've just sat and listened to me waffle for an hour, then feel free to DM me a question anytime. I'm always happy to answer questions because it quite often prompts me to write blog posts or Instagram posts as well. So it's actually really useful. Yay! Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. One of my favorite things is when after I interview a guest for the show, my mind is just buzzing and full of ideas. And this is totally the case after speaking with Lucy. I'm betting the same is true for you. I love this conversation so much. I know that Lucy and I would both love to hear from you on Instagram. Lucy is at Lucy Werner PR and I'm at Lauren Tilden. The show notes for today's episode include links to everything that we mentioned. You can find that at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 146. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. First, I would be honored if you would leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to subscribe or follow along. If you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, you can send them the link. This episode is at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 146. And finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden and Lucy too at Lucy Werner PR. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.